What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human beings too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how many years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual combo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. We are so grateful that you're here. So if you enjoy this podcast and want to connect further, we invite you to follow along on Instagram at what the actual fork pod and subscribe, rate and review our podcast so we can continue to share this message with more and more people. Now let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of what the actual fork podcast. It's your girl, Sammy. I'm all alone. I'm so lonely. Um, it's just me because if you heard our episode last week, I gave my sickness to Jenna through the computer. Um, poor Jenna and her whole family are sick right now. So I would not let Jenna come on here, although she wanted to. She still wanted to record today. I said, absolutely not. You have to rest. You have to snuggle Noah and you have to repeat that. And no coming on to the pod. So I held down the fort today. It was just me. Um, but it was still a wonderful episode, but we miss Jenna and we're sending our positive, healthy vibes your way. So you can hopefully just be out of this sickness. I just feel like it's going around everywhere. Um, but I wanted to share my what the actual fork moment of the week. And it's interesting. It's going to be like the opposite of what we usually do. So usually with our what the actual fork moment, it's like something that stopped you in your tracks and made you say like, what the actual fuck uh, about diet culture. But I'm actually going to do the opposite. And what I mean by that is like a positive experience that I had so built up in my head that it was going to be a what the actual fork moment. And then it wasn't. And I think hopefully some of you can relate to this. So I shared a little bit on TikTok how yesterday I went to my first like high intensity workout class since being postpartum. Now, I also, I want to set the stage here. I'm eight and a half, almost nine months postpartum. I went through three rounds of IVF, egg retrievals, transfer before falling pregnant with Sienna. And during that time, they wouldn't let me do high intensity exercise. So I, I have not done high intensity exercise for a very long time. And to be honest, I've shared on this podcast a lot, how my relationship with fitness is just on the rocks and has been through a lot. And I was, you know, going through periods of time where I really, really, really needed to rest. So I want to make it clear that whether you're postpartum or not, you don't have to like high intensity exercise. Um, you never have to get back to it. Um, there's no such thing as bouncing back from pregnancy. That's not what this is about at all. But I do want to share 
what was going through my head before going to this class. I had a lot, I had a lot of anxiety about it. I, I just like thought that the instructor, like, because we've all had those experiences, right. That are traumatic where you go to an exercise class and they're like, burn off that beer you had last night or burn off that pizza or, you know, burn it to earn it or no pain, no game. And I think I've just heard that for so many years that I just like stay away from group fitness because I'm like, fuck it. I don't want to deal with that. And so I had all these thoughts running through my head, but before I signed up for the class, the whole reason I signed up for the class is because I woke up, had myself a delicious New York city bagel that our friends had flown down and we froze some. So I had myself a bagel. It was all like fueled up with carbs. And I was like, you know what? Like moving my body and like challenging myself sounds really enticing right now. I had this like new burst of energy and I was like, Sienna was at daycare. I had a little gap in my schedule and I was like, I'm going to go to a workout class. And then I like, as soon as I had that thought, I was like, started freaking out. So I was like, no, you're doing this, Sammy, you're doing this. And I kind of wrote down the fears that were coming up for me. And it was like, there's going to be diet culture stuff. Like your body can't do what it did before having a baby, like all this like really weird negative thought patterns. And so I was really anxious about it, but I was like, you're safe you're safe. And that's important to remember. And I had, I just had a conversation with a client about that this morning too. Like it is normal to have anxious thoughts and kind of like, see, like you kind of feel like you see what's going to happen because you're basically replaying old memories and that's your body trying to keep you safe of like, don't do that because we know what's going to happen. And I was like, no, no, that is not true. The intention of me going to this class, I want to feel energized. I want to challenge myself. I want to feel strong. I want to celebrate what my body has done and what it is now capable of doing. And so I ended up going to this class. I had a fucking ball. I was like running and sprinting and, but then walking and doing some strength and it, and they they were blasting songs. And a lot of them were like TikTok, like bangers So I was like singing and I was like, this is so fun. And I just like let out a bunch of energy. And so why I'm sharing this is my what the actual fork moment of the week, again, very different than how we usually share them, is don't let the fear of what you think is going to happen hold you back from experiencing joy. And I think that diet culture took away so much of my life when I was in the mindset that fitness was about burning and earning and all of these things that then I I had to take a very long period of rest. But diet culture doesn't now get to take the fun away from me. Like I don't have to sit out and sit on the sidelines and not go to classes because I'm fearful of the diet culture stuff when my intention is nowhere near rooted in diet culture. And so I thought that would be a really, really insightful thing to share today because it doesn't matter if you're postpartum or not. Just if you're, if you're dissecting your relationship with movement, don't let the fear hold you back from experiencing joy, but only you know what your intention is. Is it burning and earning and shape-shifting your body and trying to shrink your body or is it because you want to feel energized and strong and joy out of it? Um, and you will get there. It has taken me years. So that was very insightful.
for me this week. And I wanted to share that with you. Okay. I'm so freaking excited to share with you today's sponsor of the podcast. And the reason why I have been using Cozy Earth products for years, 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 years. And so when they reached out of wanting to sponsor the podcast, you should have seen my reaction because there's nothing better than partnering with a company that you buy their products anyways. So this is not even like feeling like an ad for me because I'm like, I freaking love their stuff. And I have talked about it on my social media for years. So let me talk about why I love Cozy Earth. One, they've been on Oprah's favorite things since 2018. And look, the queen Oprah, she just knows what's good. And so Cozy Earth sells the best selling bamboo sheet set. It is temperature regulating and incredibly soft. The temperature regulating part is very important to take note of because my husband, he like basically could sleep naked and always sweating. And I am very cold. And so it just regulates to your temperature. It is, like I said, incredibly soft. Like it feels like this mix of silk, but like a warm hug all at once. It's like one of those things that I wish I could describe through the microphone, how it feels on your skin, but you just have to touch it to actually understand. Cozy Earth's bedding collection offers a variety of luxury pillows, sheets, blankets, more. They have wonderful clothing options as well that mama loved postpartum and beyond. Like I'm obsessed with their pajamas. So I am so excited to share our code with you for Cozy Earth because I absolutely want you to experience the amazingness of their products. So Cozy Earth provided us with an exclusive offer, 35% off site wide. That is correct. 35% off site wide when you use the code FORK. Use the code FORK, get that 35% off, tag us in what ever you purchase, because I promise you it will be the softest thing that graces your hands, your skin. Oh, it literally makes for the best night's sleep. Okay. Go use that code 35% off fork. You will not regret it. And so let's get into like what our episode is about today as well. I feel like without Jenna here, I'm rambling and usually Jenna and I ramble. So I guess I could just talk to a wall. Um, All right, let's get into it. We have the amazing Elizabeth Davenport on today. And let me tell you a little bit bit about Elizabeth. So prior to heading off to graduate school to become a dietitian, Elizabeth cooked and baked professionally for nearly a decade. Now she considers herself a home cook who loves sharing recipes and cooking tips to simplify cooking for family, friends, clients, and listeners. She currently co-owns a thriving nutrition practice um, in Washington, D.C., the metro area, who treats individuals with eating disorders and families seeking support in feeding their children. She is also the co-creator of Sunny Side Up Nutrition, a blog and podcast that supports parents in raising children in diet-free homes. Elizabeth also supervises a team of anti-diet, weight-inclusive dietitians. We love that. And when she's not working, which she clearly has a lot going on, she enjoys spending time with her husband, her two teenage daughters, and cooking, being outdoors, walking, and reading. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Elizabeth today, 
And we really tackle a lot about parenting and just really creating this safe space, a a diet-free home, right? How many of us just with, you know, what decade we grew up in would love to go back in time and be like, what would my life look like if I grew up in a 100% diet-free home where the size of somebody's body was not talked about, weight loss was not like the the only thing that was topic of conversation. All foods were neutral. There was no such thing as good foods and bad foods. And maybe you grew up in that environment. And that is amazing if that is you. But the majority of humans are not brought up in that environment. And that has a huge impact on our relationship with food and body. And so Elizabeth is the perfect person to break this all down with. And there are amazing resources that we also mentioned in our previous episode with McCall Dempsey that I had to bring back up because we've had so many of you truly like reposting on Instagram, these resources. So please stay till the end because there are so many free resources at Sunnyside Up Nutrition that you're going, if you are a parent, you are going to want to take advantage of and just know that they exist. Even if you think maybe sometime in the future, you could be a parent. So enjoy this episode, save this episode, review this episode, and please send this episode to a friend in need. If if you know a new mom, a new parent, um, just people that are supporting children, this episode is so important. So let's get into it. Okay, Elizabeth, our first question is, it's a question we use with every single guest that we have. Um, And we like to start with your what the actual fork moment (laughs) of the week, month, year. It could have just happened to you. It could just be the most profound one that sticks out to you. But what lately in diet culture has stopped you in your tracks and made you say what the actual fork is? Oh my gosh. You know what I'm going to say. I know what you're going to say. You know why I know this? Because it's been the same answer for every single guest since these guidelines came out, but I'm going to hand it right over to you. Yes. The uh, new, well, not so new now, um, American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines. They're just, I listened to your episode with Christine Byrne, actually, yes. the day they came out, oh, I think, or right around the time. It they was came the day out. after. Yeah. We recorded with her and we just like, couldn't talk yeah. about anything else. It helped me channel my anger. Good. <laughs> I felt like I had company out because I didn't, you know, you feel so just, it's, it's just mind boggling and heartbreaking and infuriating and beyond infuriating, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah. And we've been treating eating disorders, Anna and I both for, and you know, in our practices for over 20 years, each of us now. And just when we think we're making some progress, this comes along, right? We want to help people not, I mean, they're basically saying, let's just go ahead and give people eating disorder, give kids eating disorders. Yes. It's, I, I resonate and just with everything that you just said. And it's like, you feel like you're making these huge strides and like your little bump and our little like intuitive (laughs) eating, like health at every size bubbles. And then this kind of bomb drops and you're like, what the fuck is going on in this world? Like, am I dreaming or am I having a nightmare more so? Yes. Um, 
and it still just, feels surreal yes. that people would actually in their in their minds think that these guidelines are actually okay. Mm-hmm. I think it just speaks volumes to how disordered, like obviously people within the AAP are, but just that our world would even get to this extreme of measures. I already thought they were ridiculous for <laughs> adults, but then to to loop children into this, like, I, I think it was saying like behavioral counseling, like age two, excuse right. me, what? Yeah. What happened to being a kid? I know. I know. Yeah. Well, and it's going to put so much pressure on parents. Yes. Well, thank yeah. you. I mean, this is such a perfect segue to, you know, our topics today because you, you know, in your practice, in Sunny Side Up Nutrition, you guys specialize in supporting parents and raising children in diet-free homes, yes. right? Like that is yes. the core of what you do. So so let's go back to what you just said. You said this is going to put such pressure on the parents. And I think that's something I would love to shift to. Like, you know, when we think, when I heard these guidelines originally, my anger and frustration was just, you know, for these children, for these children, but then to bring in the perspective of these parents who of course want what's best for their child. Right. So then they're being told by a medical professional, oh, you should put your child on this injectable weight loss medication or put them under the knife. Yeah. How does that impact a parent? Well, and how does that impact the parent-child relationship yes. also? I mean... And, you know, the reality is this is going to have a bigger negative impact, sadly, and most likely on underserved, underrepresented populations, um, which is could be a whole nother topic. Imagine being the child and you undergo bariatric surgery at age 13. And then let's fast forward 20 years to, okay, now you're 32 and you're trying to have an adult child, adult parent, you know, adult relationship, how do you yeah. not hold resentment towards this parent? Well, the sad thing is, well, it's all sad, but one of the issues with this is that the, with the guidelines is that kids are, you know, kids are going to be told that their body's wrong mm-hmm. and no kid should ever hear that. Um, and it's going to have an impact on their self-esteem on their autonomy, on all aspects of their lives. Yes, absolutely. And I think this will go nicely with, you know, later in a few, I do want to ask you big tips to support a diet-free home. And I have a feeling that a lot of this is going to pair well with that. But before we get there, I'm really interested in in your kind of history as a dietitian. Were you always an anti-diet dietitian? Were you always in the eating disorder space or how did kind of how did your journey of becoming a dietitian start out? Well, I'll quickly tell the very before I was even a dietitian, I cooked professionally back in oh, the nineties before the Food Network was around. <laughs> um, and I was the baker at a restaurant in Durham, North Carolina, and my friend and roommate happened to be a pediatric neurologist at Duke. Um, And uh, she said, you work way too much. (laughs) And so we sat down and she said, she worked with a lot of med students. She said, what are some other things you want to do? So we talked about it. And the next day I was looking into going to grad school to become a dietitian. Um, And one of the things that I really wanted to do was back then was to um, use my 
love of food and cooking to really help people um, and just teach people about food, especially kids. Um, One of my earliest memories is cooking in preschool. Our preschool teacher had us make lunch for our parents. And I still remember stirring the tomato soup, like standing on a chair Mm -hmm. and stirring the tomato soup. But I loved it, right? You were so So, empowered. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how many kids get to do that, right? Yeah. So um, at any rate, I went to grad school. That's where Anna and I met. Um, And, um, you know... Uh, we, I I was interested in eating disorders in grad school. There was nothing, no courses offered, um, at the time, Anna and I both got together and maybe with a couple other people did some independent study stuff on eating disorders. But then, um, you know, early before I graduated, I can remember saying, okay, I want to own a private practice and help people with their relationship with food, but also help them lose weight, right. Or help them with weight management. I mean, everything we learned in grad school. I was going to say back in the nineties too, rooted (laughs) in, you know, um, you know, um, fear of weight gain, (laughs) bad phobia. Um, it was all weight centric. So it would be impossible to come out of that and not be somewhat focused on it, you know, um, but I did not go into private practice and help people lose weight. So I'm, I'm relieved I didn't do that. I was going to say, <laughs> I wish I could say the same yeah. thing, it's but okay, that is though. amazing. You know, it's okay. It's okay. Right. I think some of it was because just the path I took and also just my love of food, yeah. you know, I just, <laughs> so I have always, as long as I can remember, believe that all food, you know, all foods are great, yeah. especially dessert and bread yes, <laughs> and ice cream that falls under dessert. But at any rate, um, so I would say I probably became, I'm just thinking like in 2005, I started working at Children's Medical Center, Children's National Medical Center in DC in their outpatient nutrition clinic. Um, and it was at that time that I read Ellen Satter. Okay. Um, and I also had a one-year-old at the time, right? And for that first year of her life, I worked very part-time, um, nothing to do with being a dietitian, but, um, and I, um, can remember, you know, feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to like make all her baby food and it's all got to mm-hmm. be organic. And, you know, it's exhausting. You can nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. Somebody told me recently, you'd be so proud of me. I'm making all of my child's baby food. And I was just like, Oh my gosh. I said, you don't have to do that. Like, no, that's I'm a lot so of work. For- I'm so fortunate this day and age. There's like all these pouches where everything's just like done. I'm like, here you go, babe. And she just slurps it right up. I'm like, perfect. Right? Those pouches with the spoons that come off. Oh, it's like, wow, we haven't made only had those. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And now, um, you know, we had the breast pumps. You just shove it in your bra and your hands free. Like I don't know how women did it years yeah. ago. I like you deserve yeah. medals for the things we, that you had to endure without technology. We did, ha- we did have these big breast pumps that yes. has like, I don't know what they look like now, but they were pretty big contraptions. They fit yes. in a backpack back yes. then. But the other thing is uh, right around 2005, somewhere in 2005, I also, maybe it was 2006, went into private practice Okay. Um, and started. And, you know, I had read intuitive eating by then. And so that is really 
the model that I followed. And with the kids that I worked with in the outpatient clinic at Children's Hospital, I really, the kids and the families, oftentimes we'd get kids who, you know, doctors referred them to the clinic because they felt like their weight was on a trajectory that made the doctor uncomfortable or worried, right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying not to say the O word. Of course. (laughs) Um, So, and I really, you know, I, I can't in my, I can't, I don't, maybe I, you know, in my mind, I didn't ever say, oh, your kid needs to lose weight. Yeah. I really followed the Ellen Satter model. And though there's some problematic language in her, um, one of her books, helping your child without hurting, I think it is, you know, Mm -hmm. I really followed that model with, with families. Um, and so that's the answer to your question. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds, I, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, and I, and Jenna and I always, sh- you know, share our paths because just like you said, like, I think it's important for people to realize like you can be in the weight management space yeah, and then recognize how much harm you're doing and say, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this anymore and choose a new direction. Right. Although it's really freaking hard. I can attest to (laughs) it is worth every tear and unlearning and whatever it is, because your life becomes a lot more fulfilling and you actually get to help people and not harm them. Um, but when I hear stories like yours, I'm like, Oh, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to not have to look back and cringe at some of my, my counseling. Um, but once we learn better, we do better. But I have to say, right. Everything I learned in grad school, was weight centric. So the chances are, there are chances that, you know, there are some people, um, that I gave advice to that was possibly harmful, um, which is hard to think about, but, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not unlikely. Yeah. Right. And like Um, you said, it's a part of our coursework and there's just so much that needs to be changed within the field of dietetics and. Oh my gosh. We're slowly. (laughs) Slowly inching that direction, I hope. Okay, so today I want to talk to you about a skincare brand that we are newly obsessed with on the pod, and it is called Dime Beauty. So first off, let's thank Dime Beauty for sponsoring this podcast and making it possible to be here today. But secondly, I want to share with you why you need to try these products ASAP. Now, This is Sammy speaking, not Jenna, and I will be the first to admit that I am just not like a skincare beauty product girly. Like on TikTok, I actually despise the trend, get ready with me. I don't want to learn about 20 different beauty products that are so expensive and do research on like skincare routines. It's just not for me. So when Dime Beauty reached out to sponsor the pod, I was actually pumped because I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to educate us on skincare. I don't have to do the research. And it was it was just a match made in heaven. So reasons I love Dime Beauty, they are vegan products, cruelty-free, affordable luxury because beauty products can be expensive and also great for all skin types because mama has psoriasis and dry skin and Dime Beauty has been chef's kiss. So what I got started with, with Dime Beauty products, I ordered the works, which is their like bestseller of, it, it basically is like 
shows you how to do a skincare routine. They just give you everything in one, which is exactly what I needed from cleanser to toner to serums. And then you have your night cream versus your day cream. So it was just so easy to follow step-by-step and I've been doing it every day and night. And I'm happy to report that my skin has reacted really well to it. And I really loved how soft it's felt. So if you're like, okay, I need to give these products a try. You can use our code FORK to get 20% off your next order. And remember that Dime Beauty also provides free shipping on orders over $75. So if you have not tried Dime Beauty yet, it's definitely time to do that. You can click the link in our show notes and again, use code FORK for 20% off your entire order. Also, like like just snap a selfie for us and show us that beautiful skin after using your products. You will not regret it. So let's get into, you have two teenage daughters, one in high school, one in college. Yes. Um, and so I would love to hear, like, I know you mentioned, you know, when you started your private practice, you had a one-year-old at the time. So how did having children impact how you functioned as a dietitian? Was it was there anything that then having children and kind kind of, you know, playing out like, oh my gosh, what I say and what I do and how I act around food, I, I'm directly seeing it impact them. Did that change anything within your practice? No, um, I I would flip it around and say being a, di- I think being a dietitian helped my parenting. Yeah. You know, really everything that I learned from reading Ellen Satter and intuitive eating, book, um, I think was incredibly helpful. Yeah. Um, I also helped that like I was 36 when my, <laughs> when I first had kids. So oh. I think that also helped, right. I just had a hundred percent life experience. Um, and, but yeah, you know, I really feel like it, it helped me really, um, also, you know, I don't know about in your house, but some, you know, when my kids were younger, it was hard for my husband to understand that they could get dessert, you know, that we would offer dessert mm-hmm. no matter what they ate and they didn't have to eat everything on their plate. He came around quickly, but, you know, I think, um, uh, I think it also helped that I was a, I mean, I'm sure it helped that I was a dietitian to say, this is the way we're going to, um, navigate food in our house. Uh, I didn't say it quite like that. That sounds kind of like, this is how we're going to do mean, You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm really glad that I have, that I am a dietitian and it, I, you know, I have both my kids were, and still are not, t- you know, they're just, they, but they were picky eaters, both of them mm-hmm. somewhat picky. And I think if they hadn't been, you know, if I hadn't been a dietitian, I probably would have been making them take bites of food that they didn't like and, you know, pressuring them to eat things. And as a result of being a dietitian, I, you know, I knew, okay, we don't want to tell them they're picky. We don't want to like make them feel like that Mm -hmm. it's something wrong to be picky. And I myself was pretty picky when I was a kid. Um, So, which I remember and my parents never, my mom, I was raised pretty much by my mom from five years old on. She never said anything about, you must eat this. Mm -hmm. You know, she, there was no pressure for being picky. And my grandmother 
used to, you know, make sure she strained my orange juice because I didn't like the pieces. in it. So I remember, I remember. Um, but, um, I think, yeah, it's, it, it, it just really, yeah, I haven't thought about this actually It really in this way. And it has really been incredibly valuable to be a dietitian, um, and have the foundation I had, uh, when my kids were young, because they really have been raised in a house that's, you know, no comments about weight or food, you know, neg- no negative comments about food, no, no negative comments about people's bodies. It's a very, you know, um, include body inclusive mm-hmm. home, all foods, you know, um, so yeah. I'm grateful. I'm a dietitian. <laughs> I love that reframe. I loved how you flipped that question. And and I know Jenna's not here with us right now, but Jenna and I both had our first within our thirties. Um, and I can't, I couldn't agree more. Like we say all the time on this podcast, we are just so grateful that we are, or we were where we were with our relationship with food and our body before having our children. Um, I ended up going through years of infertility, but had I had a child when I started trying, I feel like I look back now and I'm like, there was a reason, like I wasn't ready to have a child there. And again, it would have been a miracle and it would have been a blessing, but like, I'm so grateful that I had her when I did because I learned so much throughout those years. Um, and like, just like you said, now she's in a household where there's no negative comments about food or body or, you know, all of these things, no scales, no, exactly, exactly. Um, and I just can't imagine, you know, experiencing that. I think we're we're always postpartum once we have a kid, but those fresh postpartum weeks and months, not being at peace with my body and knowing how to go through that. Like there's just being a dietitian, it, it's a superpower, but, yeah. um, so I, I love how you reframed that. So you, you started to mention some things of like, you know, uh, a home free of negative talks about food and body. So I think this kind of naturally leads into our next question of just, you know, the three biggest tips that you can give to listeners to support a diet free home. And I don't know if these are going to be dras- drastically different for like a toddler home. So let's think like toddler home slash like teenage adult home. So if you want to split it, if you're like, no, they're the exact same. I would just love to hear like, what are the three biggest things that come to mind for you? I mean, I'll start by saying that I often say that teens and toddlers are very similar. (laughs) Amazing. Good to know. I'm taking notes. Just teens look like and often sound like adults. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that happens with parents is that they see this, we want our kids to be independent. And sometimes I think parents take the structure away too soon okay. with, with regard to feeding. Okay. Right? I mean, we work with so many, I work with, and in my practice, we work with so many teens who really what they do need is the parent to be making the meals, right? We want our kids Mm -hmm. to be independent, but everybody develops and mature. Everybody matures at a different rate. Some kids might be ready for it and others aren't. And so that's where kind of the responsiveness comes in, right? We need to, you know, it's important to know where our child is and what they, in their development, 
and what they need from us as parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but to answer your question, the three, um, things that I would recommend are, you know, if you want to raise your kids in an anti, in a, in a diet free home and you feel like you haven't been, you can start anytime. Mm, it's never that. too late. And what I always encourage people to do is just begin by noticing the, you know, what's stressful to you about food and notice the thoughts in your head and really work on just practice not making any comments about food or weight or physical activity. Mm. Um, And that's a place to start. Um, And of course, if you feel like you can't do it yourself, reach out for, for help. Um, But uh, I think another is to really, um, I want to, there's so many important ones. It's hard I to know, I know, because um, I don't want to leave anything out, but I have to. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, really trust that your child is going to trust that your child is going to eat what they need to eat and that they're going to grow the way they're supposed to grow. Mm. Love and that. that then allows you to, you know, under division of responsibility and feeding, right? That allows the child to do their job and it of eating what, how much is offered, what eating, what they want of, Mm -hmm. of what's offered and how much they want of what's offered. And it allows you as the parent to do your job, which is what's offered when it's offered and where it's offered along with responding the nuanced part of, (laughs) of feeding kids. It's not just it's not quite that simple, but, um, and then the other thing I would say is, um, model a positive relationship with food, Mm. eat the cake, eat the ice cream, eat the burgers and fries. Um, really uh, let your kids see you having a healthy relationship with food and that's going to go so far. And also, if you have a picky eater, um, seeing just the kids seeing you eat the food, like let, let's say broccoli, right? Let's say your child really hates broccoli and hates all vegetables and doesn't eat them. If they see you eating it, they see it on the table, they see it on the plates, on everybody's plates, that's exposure. Yep. That's huge. I love that you brought that point up. And that's often my answer when people are like, how do I, you know, make sure my kid has a healthy relationship with food. I'm like, can we turn inward first? Right. Can we work on our own relationship with food? Yeah. And that actually brings me to a random kind of question, but it's along these same lines. We used to take teens at our practice. Um, but we are, we're adult only for the time being, because I found that a lot of times we were getting teens. It was the parent coming in pointing at the child, usually saying my child needs to lose weight, which as we know is extremely problematic. Um, Or it was, you know, my child's a picky eater. My child won't eat this. And then mom or dad would go on and say like, well, mommy's on the keto diet. I can't have carbs, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Have you seen that? Or how do you navigate that in practice? when the parent is bringing the child in and finger pointing, but there's so clearly disordered eating and chronic dieting and potentially eating disorder in the parent, but very, you know, unknowingly, like the parent doesn't think there's 
any issue with their own relationship with food or body? I mean, typically what we do is we will meet with the parents separate from the teenager mm-hmm. um, or, or I, you know, under about 10 years old, I don't, of course, wouldn't even see the, the children at all. And even over that, sometimes you're right. You don't need to see the kids, but I think for, you know, in my mind, when kids are, when they're teenagers, um, well, whether they're kids or teenagers, we're working with the parents, right? We're helping the parents change their relationship with food. And then the job, you know, in my mind, our jobs with the, the teenagers is to help them also change their thoughts around food, but also help them know that we're there to support them. Yes. Right. I think the last thing we want when, when a teenager or anyone is in our office, but a teenager's in our office, we don't want them to feel like they're, you know, that, that their body is, there's something wrong with their body again. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And it is true. So often not to criticize parents, right. They're just, they, they're having a hard time navigating diet culture, right? They've, they've almost entirely, or even partially, sometimes the ones that have only, are kind of half in, half out mm-hmm. are even harder to navigate. Yes. I think. Um, but uh, did I answer your question? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think my issue was years ago when we would see teens is we wouldn't, we wouldn't make it mandatory or required to screen the parent and learned very quickly that like, obviously are a parent and a guardian, like their relationship with food is the most important in the life of the child that they live with. And, um, it was, it, it just is a really sticky situation. If you don't have the parent on board and recognizing what's going on. Yeah. yeah. So much of the work is with the parents. Yes. Yes. So let's shift then. Let's say, For our listeners who are making peace with food, they're making huge strides. They're making peace with their body. They are, you know, adamant about raising their children and a diet-free home. And they're running into just really difficult situations with other parents, right? Maybe their child goes and plays at other houses where they know that that parent is super restrictive or always on the keto diet, or maybe they're, you know, at play dates at the park and all the moms are talking about what diet that they're on. How do, how do we keep ourselves safe as best we can, um, as a parent who is saying no to diet culture, rejecting diet culture, but can't just hide away in our home and, you know, hide from diet culture because we know it's all around us. Yeah. It's so hard. It is so hard because it really is, as you said, all around us Mm -hmm. and there is so much talk. And, um, you know, I think, um, there are a number of things you can do. I think, um, I wouldn't necessarily say something to a parent in front of a bunch of people Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't necessarily want to make them feel bad. Um, but I might, if it was really, well, if I was in a group of parents and someone was talking about other people's bodies, um, especially in front of, and uh, within earshot of kids or talking mm-hmm. about food, I might just say, let's, you know, let's change the conversation while their kids around. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
then I might, you know, if there were people that were really talking about it a lot, um, in front of kids, especially, I would just find a way to have a conversation with them, a brief, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge deal, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the conversation, it can be, if someone's really working on their, um, relationship with food, they can say to the, the other parent, you know, I'm really working on hard on this. And, and, um, it's hard for me to hear that I'd appreciate, you know, if we could minimize, you know, if the comments about food were minimized, um, the diet culture comments, um, and just like that. I'm making it sound simple. It's not simple to have that conversation, right? It's well, really I, hard. It's really it's hard, especially hard. if you're a people pleaser. But and I it, think it, 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 it is important to just be able to set that boundary. Yeah. And it catches people off guard, right? Yes. I mean, it's, you know, I'm saying this, but it's easy for me. It is easy for me to say because yeah. I have the privilege of being, of all this training, exactly. right? Of being a dietitian and this is the work I do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not that easy. Um, yeah. 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 And because depending on who we're saying it to, they might not think it is problematic because they might, you know, whatever they're talking about, be doing it under the umbrella of heavy air quotes, health, health, right. Right. And so then it can just be misconstrued in, in so many different ways. Um, but I, I think boundary setting is so important. And then of course, like depending on the severity of the situation, always finding support with parents who, you know, maybe have similar beliefs as you do, or are also, you know, trying to reject diet culture. Um, but I know sometimes it can feel really lonely on this journey because diet culture is just everywhere. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So it's even in um, the space of caring for animals. Someone said to me recently, oh, I don't give my dog, we give our dog a carrot every day at one o'clock, you know, since we started working from home during the pandemic and she barks at like five till one, she starts barking. That is hilarious. The one o'clock carrot. Yeah. I love that. And someone I just gave me, my dog carrots before we got on today's episode. I kid you yeah. not. He loves them. Someone said to me, oh, I don't give my dog carrots. Carrots are bad for dogs. I was like, Why? And they said, oh, they're too great. much sugar in them. not going to kill them. No, they said they have too much sugar in them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, you see these, these, I'm not going to say that I don't want to give any, uh, you know, free marketing to some of these companies, but like there's some of these dog food companies that it's like fresh, organic, you know, refrigerated only. It's like so expensive. Yes. And it's like, what happened to kibble? Like. The dogs yeah. love it. They eat it. They're growing. They're fine. Yeah. Yes. And all this but, to say that diet culture is everywhere. Everywhere. All under the sneaky wellness culture now. And it just... Yes. It's... Yeah. I forget. Has Christy Harrison's new book came out? She's writing a, a book on this. It's not out yet. Soon, It, it comes right? out in April. I think it comes out towards Amazing. the end of April. Amazing. Because I believe that's what she's really honing in on is just this this wellness culture. And so... I'm excited, excited for that. So, okay, Elizabeth, tell our listeners if they're like, okay, I am a parent, I'm struggling, I want more information, I want to learn more about sunny side up nutrition and and all things that you do. Where where should they go? Where's the best place they can find you? 
Uh, you can find us um, on Instagram at Sunnyside Up Nutrition. Same thing for Facebook. And then we're also, we also have a podcast, Sunnyside Up Nutrition Podcast. And um, uh, we are also, we also have a blog um, and a newsletter that we send out monthly. Amazing. And I'm going to plug for you only because we've had people posting on Instagram since we had McCall on. McCall mentioned some of your resources on your website, and we've had some of our listeners going and printing out like the resources that you have free resources, everybody who's listening, of, you know, like a letter to give the doctor if you don't know how to, you know, set that boundary about weight with your children or letters to send to school if there's like air quotes, mandatory weigh-ins. And so you guys have some amazing resources. And we actually, we actually just on Friday released, um, we did this in conjunction with the uh, Carolina uh, Resource Center for Eating Disorders. It's um, a parent resource for how to navigate the um, AAP guidelines. So that's also on the site. Okay. That is what a perfect way to start and end the episode. Yes. (laughs) Started with like that fiery flame of the AAP guidelines. And it's like, okay, if you're going into the doctors and you want some help and some assistance, then absolutely go to sunnysideupnutrition.com and get some of those free resources there. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your time today. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. So if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all of your friends and faves, and don't forget to rate and review and let us know what you want to hear more of. The more we hear from you, the more that we can make these episodes exactly what you want. We would also love to connect with you on Instagram at what the actual fork pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will see you next week for more fun.